This episode was brought to you by Getters Capital. Welcome to Strip Money Conversations. Welcome to a place where anybody can learn and talk about money. Whether you're established or just entering the working world, welcome to a place where our conversations are not based on your bank balance, but based on your unique needs and ambitions. My name is Lungile Mashiro and I am your host and go-to girl with all things money-related. Get Things Done is the motto of Bulelani Balabala. He's actually wearing a cap written, Get Things Done, his famous <laughs> cap. <laughs> he is very passionate about township entrepreneurship as a township entrepreneur himself. This has motivated him to start and run an initiative called Township Entrepreneurs Alliance, T in short, in 2015, which has directly impacted more than 50,000 township entrepreneurs. He also made it to the Mail and Guardian Top 200 Young South African list this year, recognized as a South African under the age of 35 who is a groundbreaker in his industry. How amazing. What a powerhouse. I'm so excited to have you today. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm, I'm looking at this Mail and Guardian thing and I'm like, no, just recently on your Instagram, you were showing us all the accolades over the years. And I was like, you are. You've lived for like under 35. That's crazy. Ah, oh, dude, you know what? Um, I don't know. I mean, that, that moment happened sporadically, right? Mm. So I was looking for some notepads or some stuff and they were there, you know, and I think these, what the guys have done is we're moving offices. So they're, they're wrapped up some awards and a number of things. Some other things are in storage because we closed down the one office because of COVID. Um, we downsized stuff. Mm. So now we're moving to a different office. So most of the things are in storage. So now I'm taking all these things out. And I think it was just a moment to take it in because I'd never had, you yeah. know, and, and you know, I, I think, I think in that moment I sat there and I thought, sure, man, there's actually so much more that's just lying there. But I was like, wow, no, thank God. Yeah, I've, I've, I've lived blessings, and at yeah. this age, it's amazing. So we're really proud of you. No, really look you. up to you. Appreciate it. Eh? Okay, so today I just really want to talk about you know your initiative T, and just maybe the SME landscape. I think there's been so much change, COVID induced, obviously in this landscape, and I just want to break it down and just get to understand what is happening in the township market. What can people learn from it, and then a little bit later on, we'll get to know a little bit about you as well. Yeah, how do you no, feel? No. No, no, definitely. I think so. Maybe, maybe just to give um, some background on T. Um, mm. So Township T is short for Township Entrepreneurs Alliance, um, an initiative I started about eight years ago. Eight years ago in March, I think it was the 11th of March, um, we started doing groundwork. And then on the 11th of July, we hosted our first workshop. The basic thing we wanted to do there, or rather I wanted to do there, was to provide township entrepreneurs. But then the dream was not, there was no big dream. The dream was simple for the local entrepreneurs in Tembisa to know each other. That's mm -hmm. it. To know each other and to share information. Because some of the, some, so when, when I engaged with some, some of the entrepreneurs, some of the challenges they had were things I sort of sat back and I was like, but that's basic, you know? But then it's basic to me. Mm. Then I then thought, you know, it would be so much more impactful if the cleaning guy could share information with the car wash guy. The detergent manufacturer could collaborate with the, whoever you yeah. know because you know i think for me innovation you know for me my sort of definition of innovation in this context is 
when two different industries collide, right? Mm. Two different ways of thinking collide. So which is why when I sort of searched for mentors over the years, I never looked for or engaged, just engaged people that were my in, in my respective industry. I looked for people that were in other industries and doing extremely well because every time they sort of sat with me and I'd, and I think up logical ideas to myself and I pitched them forth to them, it was always met with why? Why mm. would you do that? Why would you do that? But the more and more they asked you why, it pushed you to probe yeah. and dig deeper as to whether or not this was actually something that you actually wanted to do. Yeah. And you get a different perspective, right? Yeah. And it's always beautiful for me to, I think, to pitch the work that we do to someone who's an actuary. Mm. It's like, but why are you doing that? It's a waste of time. Mm. You know, um, uh, what would you do? Not nah, kill it. Then you're like, no, 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 we're not killing anything. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, then over the years, um, tea sort of took shape. And I guess also this insatiable hunger um, mm. that came through working with entrepreneurs and really finding that, you know, okay, cool. We're happy with the networking. Can you, can we do more? You know, um, can we bring other stakeholders in here to actually tell us what they're doing? Cause mm. we see what you guys are doing in your little corner, but can they come in since the platform has been created? And it sort of grew over the years into us creating market access solutions, creating lead funnels for enterprise applied development programs or incubators or prosperators that were out in the market looking for township entrepreneurs that sort of create the leads. Mm. And, you know, I think today it's been able to grow into a nationwide initiative that has done a number of different things. And I think, so number one is our flagship program, which is the Gassi Business Workshops that we run over a 12-month period on yeah. 14 different townships. And then we then have an insights and research site that then provide uh, research and insights on the township, township oh, really? economy, formal and formal sector. Yeah, no, we do that <laughs> um, for some corporates. And then we then also then provide, there's a fund that we've managed, that we're still managing that um, focuses on entrepreneurs that are distressed. Um, you would look at entrepreneurs that have been distressed by the re, the looting that happened in July mm. and also the floods. So there's monies that we keep dispersing. And I think that has now matured into, it's maturing into a different long-term grant-based fund that we're now rolling out with some corporates. Mm. And then, yeah, and I think over and above that, it's the bespoke stuff where clients will come in or a corporate come in and say, listen, we, we want to do this. We want to achieve X, Y, and Z. Um, can we build a solution or build a product? And we sort of work together and build that product. And I think something that we're very excited about is the development of a platform that we had started uh, pre-COVID and abandoned. But now we, we've resuscitated that we're launching next year, January, oh, finally. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so I first heard about T, I think it was 2016. And I think you were one year in then? Yeah, one year in, yeah. What has been some of the, the changes that you've seen? So if you go back to one guy, see that you've been there before, what is the impact that you're seeing? No, man, I mean, I look at places, for instance, like, I mean, Sashiro, for instance, when we did some work in Sashiro, I mean, there's been an interesting change, right? I think... They've always, and I think what I loved about that, that place, right? And I think maybe it goes with the culture there, right? Is there's, there's always been a general interest in mm -hmm. anything we did. Mm -mm. And it was the general interest was also made with a level of humility to say, it doesn't matter what we've achieved. Just tell us what you want to do. Yeah. Because we could always pick out certain things that we could learn and excel from and grow and develop from. So I always appreciated that culture. And I think when I look at the growth, um, maybe focusing on Tembisa, right? Because we started there. Mm. And when I sort of double back to 
the appreciation because I think one of some of the main things I used to drive across when we started T was to say, you know, start where you are, you know, with what you have, build the legacies or build these businesses if they fit in the immediate communities or in the media township. And to be able to go back and to see well-established organizations running from the township, right? Uh, people having converted Amafor Room into actual businesses with yeah. offices, with boardrooms, with reception areas. And it's broken the stereotype to say that the only businesses you find um, in the township is a Kesekawa, Shishisanyama, Kota Place, and all in the sorts. We've now dispelled and broken some of those, um, miscon- I guess I'd call them now misconceptions because mm. it's no longer a fact. Yeah. So you started T as a passion project. How do I bridge the gap between making money and my passion? What would you say? So for me, it's, I think the best way to sort of answer this, right? It was, so I started T, it was a passion project before Mm. it was commercial and still passion either way, because I still do what I do, money or not. And I still put a quite a substantial amount of my money in the work that I do, right? But I think for me, it's, you know, the passion must drive, but Mm. the constant debate as an entrepreneur is, but I need to eat now. You know, I need to pay bills now. Yeah. And I've never been opposed to the conversation that says, yeah, be driven by your passion, but there's nothing wrong in, in, I won't necessarily say park, but there's nothing wrong in moonlighting your passion and then doing what you need to do Mm. to maintain, just as long as you never lose focus. Yeah. Because for me, this was not the start of my journey, right? I mean, I started my entrepreneurial journey about 17 years ago at the point, at that point I was, my high school was grade nine. I had to leave school. My mother had ran out of, was being retrained. So she figured leave at grade nine, go to an FET college to further your training. Then at least you've got some level of, I don't know what, what yeah. qualification. The money ran dry before anything could happen there. But I think for me in that time, I've, I've run an internet cafe. I've supplied school uniform. I've supplied stationery. I used to sell enterprise food packs. I used to sell ice cream. At some some point, I, I had a stint with ice cream that went sideways because I don't think uh, me and food in the same business will work. <laughs> Did you get high on your own supply? <laughs> Definitely. So we started. The, I started. The, so my friend Dumsani had um, ice cream machine years ago. Mm-hmm. His mother had an ice cream machine that she wasn't using. He decided, dude, you've got an internet cafe, you've got a shop here, let me put a chair. While I go to school, you sell the ice cream. So we started on the Monday, um, sold a few on Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Friday we looked at each other and like, ah, this business is not working. We <laughs> ate all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible business model. <laughs> but I mean, for me, it's, and we've transported school kids. So it's done a variety of different things for mm-hmm. me to get here. And I think for me, when you sort of ask the question around, you know, how do you turn the passion into profitability. I think for me, it's constantly being in motion Mm. because for me, passion is not, uh, for me, the journey to your passion or your purpose is not linear. But for one thing that I've sort of picked out in mind is you constantly need to be doing stuff, volunteering at stuff, learning from other people up until you get to a point where you're like, this is actually what I want to do. Yeah. But what you've done in all those years and all those months um, is you would have gained the the knowledge and the expertise required to be able to start, grow and scale whatever you're working on. Mm, that's powerful. What do you think SMEs need to learn about money just in general? Business, the money that the business generates is not your money, Mm. number one. Number two, cash is king. 
and I'll, con- and I'll contextualize it in that in a digital world. What I mean by that is cash flow is everything in every business. You know, I think whatever it is that you do, try by all means to ensure that you've got a very strong cash flow base to be able to keep the business sustainable. And I think we've seen, I think having worked with a number of entrepreneurs, I've seen quite a number of them doing extremely well, but having to close down their doors purely because everything was strung up and their cash flow was strung up in a deal. Yeah. So, and I think that then talks back to what then is the lifeline of every business, right? Because that turnover is vanity, but the real thing is that cash flow. Yeah. And being able to get to that is linking it to your sales, because sales is the, sales is the lifeline of every business. Mm. And I think being very knowledgeable about your sales, how you build up a pipeline, how you convert that pipeline, those pipeline leads into actual prospects, you quote them out, and then you then measure out how long it actually takes you to then convert. Yeah. That for me then becomes the critical key in order for you to be able to then grow a sustainable business that won't choke you out at the end of the day. Yeah. I think every research that you read about SMEs, I think the first theme or the one constant theme is just how difficult it is for SMEs to get funding in South Africa. What do you think are the challenges and who are the players that can make this simpler or easier for for SMEs? So I think for me, what you mentioned is is the absolute truth because when when you look at this fund um that we're that we're that we're managing what some of the biggest things that came across was compliance right mm. compliance in and around maybe before yeah maybe before the just before the fund there's a project that we actually rolled off on behalf of a of a of a client a very big client global client and it, it was a construction project, but the sole purpose there is our in was to find ways of localizing procurement, looking, looking at, looking at the, 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 the bill of quantity to sort of look at, you know, where could you fit in certain local entrepreneurs and get them to bid for work. And with, but the, the biggest challenge was the criteria that was put in place. A majority of the entrepreneurs um, could not comply. Only a few could participate. Yeah. And I think what we then were able to do at that particular point in time was to then almost create a buffer to say, we will award you, but you need to then make sure that you've got 30 days to get the letter of good standing. Mm-mm-mm. What that then did is then it incentivized the entrepreneur. Mm. So there were certain things we were able to lax. There were certain things that we couldn't because they would go against health and safety requirements and the sort. Yeah. But what then, but anything that didn't go against health and safety, that was you had it. You First, you had to prove that you actually had it. That the only reason why you do not have the license is purely because it's reasons for expiration is, you know, COVID or the lockdown or whatsoever. Yeah. Then we could give you, we would give you concessions because then the measurement was purely based on can you actually deliver on the product? Mm. Now that then became then disruptive. And I think for me, that's one of the things that would then break away from corporates and DFIs opening up funding opportunities yeah. to then say that maybe let's change the funding instruments. Maybe the funding instrument must be then purely based on the individual's proven capabilities yes. to actually deliver. Mm. And then maybe then let's also then add a certain level that then also engages the customer base that has procured these goods. Mm. Then that in and itself then would disrupt because, you know, one gentleman I, I was talking to was one of the sales guys at one of the dealers that were owned by um, the late uh, Richard Mabonya. And he was saying that 
the reason why they had one of the highest sales, right, more than any other dealership in Gauteng, was purely because when Abab Lamina would come in with his notebook and put it on the table and say, Anyaz, I don't know, I don't know anything about this bank account thing that you guys are talking about, credit score, whatever. Yes. All I have is I've got this ledger. This ledger shows this is how profitable I am. This is how much money I make. This is who I make the money to. You can go talk to all these guys. Mm. And what he then said is that what, because the DFIs wanted everything on a spreadsheet, this guy didn't have it. He then started to collate these things in a spreadsheet. And to some of his other clients, he started to walk a journey with them and say that let's work on these things together for three months. Yeah. In three months, I guarantee that you'll have a vehicle and you have a truck for you mm. to increase your business. So that sort of having your hand on the pulse of what's going on and then being open to saying everything starts at the point of understanding. Yeah. And I think, the, and then what that then dispels is the narrative that DFIs or corporates or funding institutions would have to then say they must meet at. No, no, maybe let's then change it to say that let us meet them and the yes. meeting them doesn't mean we dumb it down. It means mm. that we are going to them to then train them up to get to where they need to be, which is our level of compliance. Then yeah. you've brought on the whole mass. No, absolutely. I think if I think back just in my career, I've, I've dealt with corporates that are really trying to tap into the SME market. And what I've seen is obviously they would, you know, I would be a part of that journey, but where it breaks is when we want the SME to now, because you're bringing this product in and you think it's going to provide a solution for them, they must jump through the hoops to use your product. And we, the corporates never actually came in with a level of understanding. They, yes, they would go and do the research and understand the neighborhood for a couple of days just to see how it works, but they never really like folded their, you know, folded their um, sleeves and just got into it and got to understand and build a relationship with the community. And I think unless you build the relationship, n none of the change is going to happen. And unfortunately, it disadvantages the SME themselves yeah. and even the corporates as well. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I think I love what you touch on, right, which is community. But just before that, we need... I think, so one of the biggest challenges years ago when I started tea that I picked up from corporates and the feeling that a lot of small businesses in the formal and informal sector had, they felt almost like corporates were doing them a favor by putting their products out in the market. Mm. It goes back to what you're saying. Like, I must jump through so many hoops to use your product, but you need my money. It yes. doesn't make any sense, right? And then and, and they're sort of negating the fact that the important thing is to plug into the community, mm. plug into the community of entrepreneurs, of whatever initiative that you are running, whatever product that you want to sell. If that product is for black females between a certain age group, plug into those networking communities, but plug in to understand, mm. but don't plug in to sort of um, walk in there with, with, with a skewed posture of mm. we are here, we are the best. And if you don't have this, then you're going to sort of fall behind. Mm. Then you're losing out on an amazing market because at some point I was advising a client who was very big in the market, but they've got other big, six big competitors in the market. And I, you know, I was pointing out a very interesting thread to say that all six of your competitors, including yourself, have got the exact same product. Yeah. But there's no adoption or take up. 
That's purely, that's one of the big, one of the reasons there was purely because they hadn't plugged into the community. They were selling that particular product. It's almost a, a spray and pray yes. approach that they have to say, we already have a thousand products. We're going to sell all of them out to anyone. Mm. So whoever picks out a product, they'll pick. So purely by virtue of the fact that they're already big and they've got mass and they've got reach, then they're able to create that cash flow. Mm. They've got amazing reserve, then they'll always be in business. But ordinarily, that then, that then will then be the 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 start of their downfall in the long run mm. purely because they went too broad instead of niching out mm. and niching out doesn't necessarily mean for me that you have got one product or service it means that you've got a clear focus with this particular product and it speaks to a certain market and you're constantly having those conversations and engagements with that particular market mm. that is exponential growth in the long run i love that so when we, so we've talked about funding being an issue what are some of the other issues? Do you think technology is an issue in the SME space or is that unlocking now? So one of the reports we did in partnership with uh, UNISA, which was the Lockdown Township Economic Survey, right, pointed out that at the height of COVID-19, or rather these lockdowns, right, I think 2020, I think from about 2020 in August all the way to 2021, this is now March. So we then picked out that quite a large majority of the entrepreneurs were not able to participate in the online opportunity, mm. right? And I think 2021 late purely because now the heightened lockdown, not the heightened lockdown, now the lockdown with heightened load shedding. Yes. Now, because the biggest challenge is there is there are the cell phones, but the infrastructure is not adequate enough for them to purely participate. Mm. Now, the ignorance that I would then have is, but I mean, all you need is data for you to participate in some of these opportunities. But if in certain semi-rural or rural communities, telecommunication company doesn't have infrastructure, then the community is automatically excluded. So I think the the that in and itself excludes a lot of entrepreneurs. But also on the backdrop of that, one of the biggest things that we picked up when we rolled out um, a social media digital skills training program um, last year, mm. we then picked out that it was a lack of understanding. They just don't know. And I think any corporate or government institution must just understand that these entrepreneurs are not deliberately ignorant. They just don't know. Yeah. They don't know that it's out there. They don't know that those solutions are out there. They don't know that um, they could participate in skills development programs at X, Y, and Z, and it's not out there. And then I think it goes back to the almost historic uh, challenge that we have as a country is that sometimes government does amazing things, but the people don't know. And because the people don't know, they'll always complain. Yes. But government doesn't communicate those things. When government is sort of driving for the solution, they become reactive to the people's cry. And then the people dumb it down because there's a, there's a medium term reaction. But they then always forget that they've got these amazing things that they need to be bragging about but they never talk about mm. and I think that for me is always the way the disconnect will be and where there will be consistent riots versus a government that was always going to be sitting there around their boardroom saying but we, why are these people complaining we've got such amazing things and mm. I've sat in some of those war rooms where we've got such amazing products no their products are amazing but do they know yeah. that you've got these products they don't know yeah got these products got these funding solutions from the government that people just simply don't know they about don't know. it's crazy and I want to throw this one in. Yeah. Risk. Yeah. Fund government agencies, corporate agencies, they must develop a higher risk appetite. Mm. They can't do it the way that they were traditionally doing it. Yeah. 
develop a higher risk appetite. You know, your measurement, change your measurement instrument, develop a higher risk appetite. You'd find that if you loosen the criteria a bit more mm. with higher risk appetite, you'd actually gain way more in the long run. And one of our, sorry, one of our stakeholders has done this mm. and they gave zero interest for the first 12 months and they've picked up adoption. But the sort of, the sort of the, when we then sort of were unpacking, were they able to pay back? And he was like, you know, of the hundred that they funded, 50% of them were able to pay back within 12 months. Crazy. You know, the other balance is still a healthy balance and there's only 5% of that amount mm. that is delinquent. That for me is, 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 it's, it's a, it's a, it's a proof. It's a yeah. better story. And I think we can do better. Amazing. So I just wanted to ask, you know, the perception around small businesses in South Africa, especially black owned, is that they don't deliver. Like you'll say, ah, you know, I got this from this person and obviously I don't trust that they will. What do you think is driving this perception and how can we change it? Because personally, if I just talk about myself from a consumer perspective, I make sure that almost everything that I purchase comes from a black business. Mm. My clothing, my hair products, I try, I really try and support black. But there's this lingering perception that when I even tell my friends, my colleagues that I do this, they're like, how can you trust that they're going to deliver? Yeah. How do we deal with that? I think that number one, it comes from a customer experience, right? And also it comes from a customer's experience and a customer who was spending what they had. And sometimes it's all they had mm. supporting another. But also I'm supporting another under the premise that the other will deliver. But the individual that I'm supporting is also just feeling their way out. Mm. You know, they're navigating this life thing. So I think let's unpack one thing, right? And I think this is my biggest belief, right? Is that there's no such thing as a perfect product. Mm. And if there's no such thing as a perfect product, we then sort of do an analysis to say how many times are some of the largest corporations did you know, drop the ball. They keep exactly. dropping the ball and we give them over grace, and over right? again and we give them grace. Mm. But I think also that grace comes from a place of we don't have anywhere else to go. Mm. Because if this one communication platform goes down, I've got nothing else to do. So when they back up, we're consistently giving them grace. So I think that the approach that we then need to then take with the small businesses and black businesses is if I'm a consumer, let me take the opportunity to, you know, engage them on how they can potentially improve. You know, and then also then sort of distant, mild mentorship whenever I come in to say, you know, do that better. Mm. But that also works only if the individual and the entrepreneur themselves are willing to listen. Mm. I've had a number of burnt experiences, but I think every time it sort of happened to me, I sort of sat there and I thought, my goodness, why do we even do this? But then I'm then reminded, but this is exactly why we need to continue doing what we do. Yeah. So that we then, so that we then dispel this level of nonchalant or mediocre or very average delivery in our service. And there's this thing that we used to grow up in the township saying, you know, it's six nor nine. Yeah. You know, one of the first things I used to, I started changing years back is it's not six nor nine. Mm. That is actually a very terrible, um, training or teaching because it means that anything goes. Yeah. It was not the best service. Then, uh, I mean, then why, why should I, why should they be complaining? Because I tried all my best, but you didn't deliver. That's the, so we have taken mediocrity and we've made it a standard mm. and we can't have mediocrity as a standard. And I think for any entrepreneur, any individual listening to this, you need to understand that the people that open up doors for us at corporate, you need to understand that sometimes that person was fighting for you 
with all of their colleagues saying, no, Yo, don't go there. Do not go there. <laughs> and whenever you get that opportunity, yes, you got it because you are compliant, but you also got it because someone's head is on the chopping mm. block. And the moment you don't deliver, everything that he or she says after that at exco, at report back, at meetings will not be heard purely because you did not deliver. So it's vitally important. But mm. if you deliver and when you deliver, he or she will take that and throw it at everyone's I face. It's you. bragging rights. And also it will open up growth opportunities for mm. them. So for me, it's a win-win situation. Yeah. But it's important for the entrepreneur to deliver, right? It's important for you to deliver on your brand promise. It's important for you to deliver on your brand messaging. You know, it, it's going away from what we culturally used to do. So my mother used to do when she owed certain institutions, whether finance or clothing institutes, she didn't answer the phone. So mm. we sort of grew up with that culture but that's not the culture the right culture is to yeah. grab the bull by the horns and to be an open book and have open lines and be as transparent as possible you are so right i actually did a video about it on my instagram the other day because i am the person in corporate who's always fighting for you know small entrepreneurs and i was so disappointed because i made it a point to get this person into a room with you know senior executives to chat about a particular project and this person arrived not prepared, didn't look like they were interested. And it really does put a damper on how the corporates view other SMEs. So you, when you go into that boardroom, you're not only representing yourself, you're representing everybody else that is in your industry or runs a business like you. And it's, it's disappointing to see sometimes. And I'm actually interested at your answer because I thought you'd be on the SME side. I thought you'd be like, no, we must support, but you're right. They need to be more consistent with their brand experience no no they definitely do man because for me is it's that social currency mm. and i think what i've always endeavored to do in business and anytime i start a new business relationship with a new supplier or a new client or whatever is to build a social currency mm. and the importance of that is when anything is delayed when the report is delayed when i do not have the cash flow or the cash to pay a supplier I have treated him so well that, you know, I've got the confidence to say, but dude, why do you want a deposit? I always pay you on time. Nothing's going to change. I just have delayed payments. Just deliver on the order. But also for me, it's then this in return, the social currency that you will have in corporate that you'll be always be able to gain the ear of any executive or the CEO or anything, because every time you, they gain, you, every time, every time you grant anyone their audience, they always deliver. Mm. And they always know that you call one, two, three, she will bring it on. You call yeah. Lungi. If she calls, it doesn't matter what it is. Her social currency is 10 out of 10. Doesn't matter what she could, if, even if she didn't brief. So what it does is that it puts less pressure and less stress on you. Mm. Now you don't have to go back home creating a five pager brief document, sending it to the executive team they must first look at it then they call you into a meeting to come and explain what this is then they're grilling you do you know this thing do you know these people are you really sure Mm-mm. but purely because you've proven exactly. then it becomes easier and i think entrepreneurs need to know that mm. that that it when you deliver and you deliver excellence consistently, it only becomes easier for you mm. then you spend less time explaining yourself so there used to be this thing and I think there still is, right? Where, you know, I think, I think there was a time where there were pictures of, uh, I think it was a Mark Zuckerberg walking around with shorts and a t-shirt. And, you know, I think we had a conversation with some entrepreneurs and they were saying, you know, it would be great to get to the point where I've got so much money I can walk around. For me, that's the social currency. Yeah. What it then has done is then it's transcended from 
him looking a certain way to it doesn't matter. He will deliver. Mm. He can deliver. And also, I think the caution to that statement is also industry specific because I don't think you can be a judge or be a lawyer, an attorney and walk in the court. With yeah. Shorts. It would be disrespectful. But I think for me, it's that social currency, work on the social currency and deliver job because opportunities are there. Mm. But you see, the challenge for me is the moment you are burnt, once burnt, twice shy, there's no way you're going to open up another opportunity, yeah. not on your court. You'd rather difficult. let someone else to go on the chopping block instead of you mm. going back in there. Yeah. Yo, I wish we could talk about this a lot more, just the SME's landscape. But I just want to get to know you a little bit better. You've done so many interviews and I listened to all of them probably before this conversation. And you've talked about your business, entrepreneurship, etc. But I want to know about you. I want to talk about money with you. Tell us about how you learned about money as a kid. Actually, I've never, ever been asked this question and I've never given this answer ever. So I remember... <laughs> when I qualified, I went straight to game, got a laptop. I got, what else did I get? I felt like I was the boss, man. <laughs> I don't know. I got a couple of things, but things I didn't need, things I couldn't afford. And then bam, I'm in the red. I'm owing monies. What cost me 6,000 at the time, I'm now paying back at 18 or 20,000 is taking me way longer. It's messed up my credit score. It's messed up my name. Now I can't buy other things or apply for other things. That for me was a rude awakening mm. to say, um, credit money is not your money, right? You need to have a clear purpose for that credit money. Yes. Um, be very deliberate about why you want it. Let it be healthy debt. Mm. There's bad debt and there's healthy debt. The bad debt for me was buying things you don't need on credit. But the healthy debt for me, you know, I think as an entrepreneur, any entrepreneur out there is buying equipment on credit because you know that you're going to be utilizing it for business, right? Yeah. You're going to be utilizing its profit generating machinery or assets. And I think that for me was a rude awakening. And I think from that point, I started to see money differently, right? And that then became the live lessons because there were almost little to no lessons um, from home, right? Yeah. It was simply, use money properly, but what do you mean? And yeah. What does that even look like? Yeah, what yeah. does that even look like? So over the years, some of the biggest teachers um, for me around being money savvy was delaying the gratification. Mm. Because anytime I had money, I had to, uh, and then I realized, you know, okay, the money's there, the business has the money or the cash flow or I have the money. Then you then remember, okay, no, no, no. But what is our next level of growth? Let me put it off. Let me put it off. So then, you know, I look at the desires I had, you know, there's this pitch I put out when years back when I was first asked, you know, what do you want to achieve with the success of your business? And then I described it in very detail. You know, I want to do well in business and, you know, I see myself one day driving a, this was over 10 years ago, man, driving a Mercedes-Benz CLS 55 AMG multi-spoke chrome rims with a beige interior <laughs> ostrich leisure with an analog watch. Like what? So I knew it, right? But I don't have that dream anymore. Mm. Now, not that I wouldn't want to own it. I can. Now, you see, now I'm at the point where I can afford to buy a number of them. But that the desire is not there. You. It doesn't excite me. Now I'm excited by building bigger things creating more impact. So I think that delaying the gratification for me and playing the long game sort of then helped me to define what is really important and what is an actual need mm. for me and what yes. is a want for me. So, and that those passions and desires sort of changed over the years. Amazing. 
Yeah, delayed gratification is my favorite thing. Like yeah. what you can, if you can stop and think about it, you're probably not going to need it tomorrow. If you impulse buying gets a lot of people in trouble. No, definitely. Definitely. If you won the lottery tonight, what is the first thing you would do? Sure. I'd probably put some cash in my, I've got two sons right that mm. I love very much. I love them very much. <laughs> now I'm thinking of the youngest. Because every, every time he comes over to see me, he's two years, three months, oh. and one week. It's uh, that's some Z. Mm. And then the eldest, uh, Zuko, um, is six years, uh, six years, four months, and a week. Mm. So those are my proper, proper boys, right? Um, so what I do is I put some money in that, in that trust. Mm. Um, and then what I, majority of that money, I'd utilize it to recapitalize the growth of the businesses I run and some investment initiatives. I don't even think, cause, cause one of the things I was sitting and looking at the other day is, do I need anything more? I don't yes. need anything more. Right. There was a point in my life where I felt like, Okay, cool. Now we're at this point. Now I need a bigger house. Now I need a bigger car. Now I need more cars. Now I need six cars. Now I got to a point where I'm like, I'm actually cool with where I am. As long as it's safe, it's secure, um, it's convenient, it's efficient. I can still get to do the work that I get to do. I'm comfortable in it. It makes me happy. Then nothing else matters. And I think it also then goes back to blocking out the noise. Yes. So, yeah, that's definitely what I do with the lotter. So, lotter energy <laughs> comes my way. you even play for you to win? Nah, I've never played. No, no, I have played. I have, have played. There, there have been moments where I played sporadically, but uh, it was... Yeah. Nah. It's not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, for shout out to too. all the lotter winners out there, right? So, uh, it's luck and chance moving your way. What is your money moment in the last few years? And by money moment, I mean like a very significant moment where you thought... Wow, this is my financial success story, and I can't believe I made it. I mean, it, it, you know, I think there was a point where I had done about 60 different, I'd, I'd flown about 60 times in 30 days. Yeah. And because it was a way of travel. Yeah. And a friend was like, dude, are you aware you're living like this now? It's like, we're living like what? Now it became normal. You know, when I was able to buy the food I wanted, like a proper meal at a restaurant, now this was way years ago. Mm. Now for me, it's, you know, what? So corporates trust me to hold on to their money and disperse the money. Hey, I don't know about this, <laughs> but that, that's a moment for me, yeah. right? And I think it's a humbling moment, but also, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an opportunity for me to say, you know, if you're trusted with the little, You'll get trusted with the more. Mm. And the more and more you deliver on what you need to do, then you'll do more. Then that's how you get to a billion or trillion. And that's how you actually get to grow. So that I think for me is, is my money moments, right? I don't know. And I don't even think I live a super splurged fun life. I think it's entrepreneurship. And that's the thing, right? Yeah. Entrepreneurship gives so much, but it also takes away so much, mm. right? And I think over the years, it took away a lot of my social life, my passions and desires on the side. I'm trying to gain them back, but I'm so intoxicated by work. I'm a yeah. workaholic. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> what do you spend money on that makes your life simpler or better? Unashamedly. I like convenience, man. So good service. I'll definitely always spend money on good service. Doesn't matter what it is. I love experiences, right? So mm -hmm. I'll spend money 
a lot of money on on amazing experiences, whether I love the bushes or Mm. whether a five-star lodge or um, the best restaurants. I've got this goal every week. I do like three new restaurants. So so it's a lot of money I'm spending. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, trying out different three new restaurants every single week for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every single week. Okay. And and I think for me, it's those experiences because... Those, those then be, then become my super main. And then mm-hmm. I think then the tech, the technology, I definitely never not spend money on that, but efficient technologies, right? That would make my life easier so that I don't have to think about going to switch on. Cause the stuff like that, like standing up to go switch on a light, I feel like it's a waste of my energy. Oh, I should be using that energy for <laughs> other things. <laughs> I should be like using those energies for something else. Like I need to do something about this. <laughs> and then to be very honest, sometimes, sometimes I was standing there and thinking about the coming to my to America movie. I know mm. that's extreme, but I don't. It's just I think it was just you know toying with it. It's very interesting because okay, cool. The level of efficiency. I could actually be on my laptop doing work while I'm being bathed. Maybe <laughs> ah nah, definitely not. That's a, nah, bit that's a private moment. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. I think you are so amazing, and thank you so much for joining me today. I think this conversation has been so fruitful. And, you know, I think you're one of those people that a lot of people know about you, but a lot of people don't know about you. And I think, yeah. you know, you, you deserve the flowers. I think you're amazing. And I really want to see where T and all of your other initiatives are going to go in the next few years because you're doing really great no, work and I can so see much. the impact. So thank you for that. Wow. Sure. Thank you, man. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your character. Right. I mean, I looked you up as well. Mm. Yeah, I did. And you've done so well. Thank right. You. And so humble. Very <laughs> humble. But thank you for having me on the platform. Um, super honor, um, to be invited by someone of your caliber onto this platform on a day like this, Friday afternoon. <laughs> thank you. Gabon, man. It's a pleasure. Gabon. Thank you. Before we wrap up, can you tell us a little bit about your podcast so that these listeners can go over there and just learn a thing or two? Oh, yeah, definitely. So we've got the small business podcast. Um, Look at your radio voice. Come on, Jason, yeah, for da, that da, da, da. section. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, we've got the Small Business Podcast available on all digital platforms. Um, on YouTube, it's on T, yeah, Township, the Township Entrepreneur Show. It's a channel. All our content from the workshops and everything is on there. So, and I think what you sort of expect there is conversations with, with industry experts on industry specific topics um, to help you navigate the entrepreneurial journey better. Uh, providing soft skills. Yeah. Lovely. And where do people find out about tea? Um, join us for tea. Hashtag join us for tea, all digital platforms. You'll be able to track out our handles or Twitter, Facebook, our handles and Instagram. Our handles at join us for tea and our YouTube channel is Township Entrepreneur Show. Perfect. Thank, Thank you. you Thank you so much for your time. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure that you hit the subscribe button and leave us a comment and tell us exactly what you thought. If you want to catch up with us, please find us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Strip Money Conversations and we'll be right there.